This week we talk about Noah's Ark and if it has ever been found. Hello, welcome back to the Swerve Podcast. It's your co-host Izzo. I'm also joined here by Magnum. What's up, everybody? If you're a first-time listener and you're wondering what you've stumbled across, we are the Swerve Podcast, and we are two random dudes on a mission to understand everything in the universe, one obscure topic at a time. So every week we pick a topic, usually listener-requested. We research it and then discuss it on the fly during the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Noah's Ark, talking about what's, what's, what's going on with it. Is this a thing? Did people find it? What's happening? It's a pretty crazy topic. Before we get into the topic... Izzo, I think you have some words to say. Yes, just really quickly, uh, we do have a Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash the Swerve Podcast. Simply put, you'll find two tiers, a $1 Ride the Wave tier, and that'll give you access to the bonus episodes that we release on Patreon. You'll also get access to that library of episodes, and you'll also get shoutouts on the podcast. And then for $3, you can join the Slap the Ass tier, and you'll get all of the aforementioned things but you'll also receive all the main episodes and patreon episodes a few days before anyone else so you'll receive them on sundays rather than the typical drop time of wednesdays having said that we do also have a tradition on this podcast is it would you enlighten the audience please yeah the tradition is that we like to drink uh while we record so we do a quick round table and usually we try and do listener recommended drinks or fancy cocktails or sometimes we just keep it basic depending on the time and sometimes we don't drink which is what i'm doing this week so i've got a canada dry diet ginger ale so still drinking that fuck yeah so i have uh this is a listener requested drink this was this is called a dr pepper it's a uh basically like like a coors light just like a light beer whatever you want and then you put a shot of amaretto in it and it tastes like a dr pepper it's it's you know if you want to class up your beer a little bit and just give it a little flavor mix it up it does kind of taste like a dr pepper and this was from our uh, loyal listener and awesome patreon bat cat meatloaf recommended this drink so shout out to you thanks for the recommendation um you actually had had a couple good recommendations i've been uh looking at them, gathering supplies, and I'll probably be featuring some other ones. We'll see. All right, having said that, how about we hop into the basics of today's topic? Uh, so what is the story of Noah's Ark? So the story of Noah's Ark is one of the most well-known and beloved stories in the Bible. It can be found in the book of Genesis chapters 6 to 9. Uh, according to the Bible. <laughs> Already. No way. Are you fucked? That's hilarious. Oh uh, my God. So, so according to the Bible, God <laughs> saw that the earth was filled with violence and corruption and that humanity had turned away from him. So God decided to send a great flood to wipe out all living creatures on earth and start again. However, God chose to save one righteous man, Noah, and his family 
along with a pair of every kind of animal by instructing him to build an ark. Sorry, I was doing like the movie guy voice. If this was a trailer for a summer blockbuster coming out, that's what it would sound oh, yeah, like. Yeah. Did God save him because he's like 69ing him all the time or what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be are in the basics. Sorry, I, I put you off. I put you off. I kind of see it like the yin and yang. So God is one of them and Noah's the other yang. Yeah, like Noah's yin and God's yang. Yeah, yeah, yin yang. So yeah, yeah. they're six denying each other. <laughs> like not literally, just like it's like yin yang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Noah was given specific instructions on how to build the ark, which was to be made of gopher wood. And I did some research, and teak is thought to be this gopher wood since it is prevalent as structure material in the Middle East. And God tells him to build it three hundred cubits long. 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. It was to have three decks and a door in the side. Um, I have a question. Might, yeah. Is, is gopher wood like what the gophers use to make their homes? <laughs> I don't know. Like the small little creature? Yeah, they're underground, so they don't need wood. But they don't, they, okay. It's not their wood that they nope. use to build their homes? <laughs> <laughs> no, a gopher wood doesn't even actually exist. Like they don't know what it is. So teak is kind of like it's Noah's Ark. Yeah, a little what? bit like that. No, I don't. Care. <laughs> Sorry, I'm derailing you. I have too much Dr Pepper. Move on. <laughs> so you might be wondering what's a cubit because it has to follow these specific dimensions. And the cubit is an ancient unit of length based on the distance from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. So it can be anywhere from 18 to 22 inches. Uh, it was primarily associated with the Sumerians, Egyptians, and Israelites. The term cubit is found in the Bible regarding Noah's Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the Tabernacle, and Solomon's Temple. So the Ark would have been approximately 450 to 550 feet long, 75 to 92 feet wide, and 45 to 55 feet in height. And comparing that to the Titanic, which was 850 feet long, 92 feet wide, and 64 feet high. Like, this is pretty much comparable to the Titanic. Yeah, but made of fucking gopher wood. Yeah, of wood. Um, I have one thing to interject on the cubit. I learned that there's different types of cubits. So, like, it's it's hard to say approximately what... There was, like, a royal cubit and a cubit, so it's, like, not clear what exactly that is and that might come in later when we talk about different th claims of finding noah's ark but anyways okay i thought you were going somewhere else completely with that where did you think i was going i don't know a white cubit is smaller than a black cubit <laughs> <laughs> that's where i thought you were going i guess not well if cubit if cubit resembled the word penis or something maybe it's like, what the fuck are you well it's like the elbow to the tip of the middle finger doesn't everyone measure their penis like that? Not everybody. <laughs> you don't just put your elbow up to some guy's junk and be like, that's half a cubit. <laughs> One cubit. <laughs> yeah. No. I see. It's a measurement joke. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I gotcha. So yeah, when the arc was finished... God told Noah to gather two of every kind of animal, one male and one female, and bring them into the ark. Noah and his family did as they were told, and the animals came to Noah, entering the ark in pairs. Then the flood came, and the waters rose high above the mountains, covering the entire earth. 
All living creatures that were not in the ark were drowned. Noah and his family, along with the animals, were safe inside the ark, protected by God. For 40 days and 40 nights, the rain poured down and the flood waters continued to rise, but eventually the rain stopped and the waters began to recede. After many months, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Noah then sent out a raven and a dove to see if the waters had receded, and eventually the dove, the dove brought back an olive leaf, indicating that the waters had indeed receded. Finally, after more than a year on the ark, Noah and his family, along with the animals, were able to leave the ark and begin a new life on a renewed earth. The story is often seen as a metaphor for God's mercy and salvation, as well as a reminder of the importance of obedience and faith in the face of adversity. It's a good lesson. And whether you believe the story or not, uh, many have tried to prove its validity by searching for evidence. And in 1876, for example, a British attorney and politician, James Bryce, climbed Mount Ararat, where biblical accounts say that the ark came to rest, and claimed to like have a piece of the wood that suits, that quote, suits all the requirements of the case and was in fact a piece of the vessel. But upon further analysis, when he brought it back to London or England or whatever, the wood was found to be from a type of fir tree that is not native to the region of Mount Ararat. Uh, more modern arc discoveries take place on a regular basis from an optometrist's report that he'd seen it in a rock formation above the mountain in 1940 to a claim that evangelical pastors uh, had found petrified wood on the peak in the early 2000s. So I want to say while we're in the basics, I have a fantastic outline of what I would consider the best case for uh, like someone who claims they found Noah's Ark. It involves like expedition teams, like dozens of people, and we'll get into it. But I want to, I just want to pipe that in the basics. We'll get to it. S stick around, essentially. So, you know, while we're here in the base, I mean, like we're talking about a. This is from the Bible. This is a story from the Bible. So, you know, whatever. I don't. Whatever anybody's religion is, if they believe whatever they believe, that's totally cool. Just whatever. But we're gonna make light of the story. We're gonna go through it. And we'll talk about some of the evidence. Maybe there was an ark, maybe there wasn't. But I will say, I was uh, when I came across some of the evidence, I might be a believer that there's a boat, and we'll see. I don't know if it's Noah's boat, but there's a fucking there's a boat, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. So I quickly just wanna just paint a picture or like give you information on who was Noah. So according to the Bible, Noah was a righteous man who lived in the pre-flood era, which means he lived before the great flood and that occurred in the time of the Genesis. Noah was the son of Lamech and ninth in descent from Adam and Eve. In Genesis 6, 9, it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among people of his time and walked faithfully with God. Like yin and yang style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Noah is also credited with being the first uh, vintner, vintner or winemaker in the Bible. And in Genesis 9.20, it says that Noah be began to be a farmer and planted a vineyard. He then made wine from the grapes and became drunk, which led to a shameful incident with his son, Ham. Okay. <laughs> hey. And that's in Genesis 6.9? No, this one is 9.20. Oh, okay. That's yeah. better. <laughs> now, you might be asking, what was this shameful incident with his son, Ham? Uh, so according to the Bible, after the flood, Noah planted a vineyard and made wine from the grapes. One day he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent 
Ham, one of his sons, saw his father's nakedness and told his brothers about it. When Noah woke up and realized what had happened, he cursed Ham and his son Canaan, saying that they would be servants to their brothers. So that was the shameful incident. It's nothing uh, else. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else at all. Well, I just want is is Ham like a fat kid? And they just call him <laughs> Ham. Like, Get over here, yeah. Ham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just oh. May I have any more of the dessert, Noah? No. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a weird name, Ham. I also like thought to myself, uh, how old is Noah? And according to the Bible, Noah was said to have lived for 950 years. This is recorded in Genesis 9.29, which states, And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. This long lifespan is not unusual for the pre-flood era, as other figures in the Bible, such as Adam and Methuselah, are also recorded to have lived for several hundred years. But yeah, it's also important to note that the ages aren't supposed to be taken literally. They're often seen as symbolic. Uh, and some scholars believe that the long lifespans are intended to represent the idea that, idea that these individuals lived for a very long time and had many descendants rather than being a historical record of their actual ages. Well, like, the thing is, you wouldn't name your kid Beef, you know? <laughs> You're still like, hung up on that? Yeah, I I feel like we just walked past that point a little too fast. Like, like French fry, like it's <laughs> a weird name, man. Yeah, hey, pizza sausage. kid. You might as well just name him Fatty. You know, like <laughs> yeah, like I don't know, or just Oink. Hey, <laughs> Oink. <laughs> hey, fat pig. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> God. So yeah, I wanted to look at other stories because there's a lot of similarities between uh, the stories. There's a lot of these flood-like stories. So the story of Noah and the flood appears in many different religious traditions around the world, and there are both similarities and differences in how the story is told in these different traditions. So as we mentioned in the Bible, Noah is chosen by God to build an ark and save his family and a pair of every kind of animal in the, from a worldwide flood. The flood is caused by God's judgment on humanity for its wickedness, and Noah and his family are spared because of their righteousness. And after the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah and promises never to destroy the earth by flood again. In the you, Quran, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, if the boat was ever about to sink, do you think the first thing that they would do is throw ham overboard so that the weight <laughs> doesn't pull the boat down? Yeah, maybe. Or they keep him in the know. in the pen with the other pigs, with the two other pigs. <laughs> <laughs> or they tie him to a rope. They need to anchor near shore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the Quran, the story of Noah is similar in many respects, but there are some differences. For example, in the Quran, the flood is not a punishment for humanity's wickedness, but rather a natural disaster sent by God as a test of faith. Uh, Noah is portrayed as a prophet who warns his people to repent and turn to God, but they reject his message and are ultimately destroyed in the flood. And uh, the Quran also emphasizes the importance of patience and perseverance in the face of adversity. 
Uh, in Hindu mythology, the story of Matsya is similar to the story of Noah in some respects. So Matsya is a giant fish, and it's an <laughs> avatar of the god Vishnu, who warns a sage named Manu, who was performing penance on the banks of a river. So Matsya, this giant fish, instructed Manu to build a large boat and fill it with all the species of animals and plants in order to preserve them from the impeding, impeding flood. And when the flood came, Matsya used his immense size and strength to tow the boat to safety on top of a mountain. Wow. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Your father was a fish. <laughs> Shout out to the Time Cube episode. That's something Eugene Ray said. Oh, okay. Your father that's, was a fish. That's a good callback then. In Greek mythology, the story of Deucalion and Pyra is similar to Noah in that it involves a great flood and a small group of survivors. In this story, the flood is sent by Zeus as a punishment for humanity's wickedness. And Deucalion and Pyra are instructed by the gods to build a boat and throw stones behind them to create a new race of humans. So that's how that story goes. It's crazy, man. Like all the how all the religions have, uh, and even modern, like the modern day religions and even past religions, like you're saying, how they all have a a, a great flood. Yeah, they kind of all converge on this great flood. And I know you have more examples coming, but I just find that very intriguing. It makes you wonder. I don't know. Like, is is a great flood? Is that something that happened in the past? And it's kind of like lost to history. It's like a Graham a Graham Hancock type thing like ancient civilizations and shit like yeah how how real is this great flood i do have a section coming up right after like two more stories of similar flood like events just kind of seeing if there is any validity to this giant flood that they speak of right uh so the next story i want to go over is the babylonian epic of gilgamesh which dates back to around 2000 BCE, and it contains a flood story that shares many similarities with Noah's story. So in the Epic of Gilgamesh, Utnapishtim... Oh, come no. on. <laughs> Utnapishtim... <laughs> Utnapishtim <laughs> is a character who survived a great flood and was granted eternal life by the gods. The story of, of Utnapishtim... Utnapishtim... <laughs> <laughs> It's similar to that of Noah because they involve a great flood and a character is saved from it. And according to the myth, the gods decided to send a great flood to destroy humanity, but the god ah, warned them. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? You know, this is making sounds. <laughs> yeah, God uh, <laughs> warned Utna pissed him of the impeding disaster and instructed him to build a large boat. Utnapishtim did as he was told, and he and his family, along with various animals, took refuge on the boat as the floodwaters rose. After the flood, Utnapishtim and his wife were granted eternal life by the gods as a reward for their faithfulness. <laughs> so it's just like a Babylonian poem that was kind of preserved. So this is actually like in a stone text from 2000 BC. Yeah. The story. I just like that one of the gods was named A. It's very EA. Canadian. <laughs> EA, EA Sports. Sport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, funny. The last story I have here is the Epic of Atrahasis. 
and it's an ancient Mesopotamian epic poem that tells the story of Atrahasis, a wise king who is warned by the god Enki about a coming flood that will destroy humanity. Atrahasis is instructed to build a large boat and gather animals to save them from the flood. The story, very similar. In addition to the flood story, the epic of Atrahasis also includes a creation myth and an explanation for why the gods created humans. According to the myth, the gods created humans to do the hard work of farming and building, but the humans soon became too numerous and too noisy, disrupting the peace of the gods. And in response, the god Enlil sends plagues and droughts to reduce the human population, but each time the humans pray to the gods and are saved. Finally, Enlil sends a flood to destroy all of humanity, but Atrahasis is warned and builds the boat to save himself and his family and the animals. The epic of Atrahasis is notable for its similarities to the story of Noah as both involve the flood, survival of a single, single family. However, the story of Atrahasis is much older, dating back to early 2nd millennium BCE and is part of the Babylonian and Assyrian lit- literary tradition. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, dude, that there's all the same stories in different cultures like i said it's and like predating each other and kind of post-dating each other too yeah it makes me kind of wonder if floods like how common is like a great flood i don't know maybe it's a common thing and you know like the thing is picture like an asteroid or, or like a comet impact if that hit the ocean you know you'd have like crazy shit happening i've also heard the idea of so you know the earth earth is obviously revolving Imagine there's a comet impact so immense that it can somehow slow, it like slows the speed of the rotation based on the impact. What happens to the water at that point? The water is going to keep moving. So yeah. you're going to have like these huge tidal waves, like tsunamis. And I've heard people speak of this and it's, it's something we can't even comprehend. Like if, if the earth was altered in its rotation, and the water kept moving, it's like we can't even picture the speed and immense power of the water that would occur. It would just crush things. This is what I've heard in different stories. I don't know how true this is or the physics of it. It's something I've been told or listened to about. Hmm. So Yeah, that would be pretty crazy. If, all went, if even for like a moment, Earth slowed down just a tiny bit, yeah be catastrophic well, the, wa- the water would be moving at the same speed the earth is rotating i don't know what that is but i believe it's it's incredibly fast yeah well like even like us if there. if we like slowed down even just imagine like it just being thrusted into one direction even like 100 yeah. kilometers an hour but we're talking about like thousands of kilometers depending on how much it's slowed down yeah it's uh 1000 miles per hour roughly yeah so imagine waves like moving that fast, just crushing things. It's yeah, pretty, be crazy. pretty crazy. So yeah, in this next section, I'll talk about is a global flood possible and what is most likely the reality of a great flood described in these epic poems and religion, religious texts. So from a scientific perspective, a global flood as described in the story of Noah's Ark is highly unlikely. The idea of a flood that covers the entire surface of Earth and wipes out all of life except for those on the Ark is not supported by geological evidence, and such an event would have had profound and lasting effects on the planet that are not evident in fossil record or any other geological data. 
additionally, the logistics of building a boat large enough to hold pairs of every kind of animal along with enough food and supplies to sustain them for months is a significant challenge that raises many questions about the feasibility of the story. Um, but is it possible that the story of Noah's Ark was inspired by regional flood events that occurred in ancient times. There are several flood stories from various cultures that predate the biblical account of Noah and the flood, and some of these stories may have influenced the development of the biblical narrative. You know, that's kind of my take, like, already on the the whole Noah's Ark thing, is great floods, like, if you have a mythos of what a great flood is like they all say like the whole globe was flooded and whatnot but you have to understand people at this time they didn't understand how large the earth's surface was like right like people thought the earth was flat so like, yeah. if just like let's say there is a flood that happens and it just covers a small region like relative to the entire size of the surface of the earth you would just assume as like a standard like someone who survived that that the entire globe is flooded, even though it w could just be your small region, like really just like your small city and maybe like 10 kilometers around it is flooded. Yeah. You'd be like the whole thing's flooded. So like I can see that happening and like influencing a ton of these like great flood um, ancient stories. So, I, you know, I think yeah. that's fair. And there actually is like some geological evidence of like, floods happening that actually impact like the ecosystem or whatever but just in that particular sub-region so for ancient people everything they can walk or see is kind of their known world so if anything happens to that like yeah they're gonna think the whole world's on fire or flooded or whatever's happening um but yeah there's many cultures that have this like greeks hindus native americans and they've they all have like these great flood events it's also worth noting that the ancient world was prone to flooding and many regions experienced devastating floods that could have served as the basis for flood stories. For example, the Black Sea region is known to have experienced a catastrophic flood around 5600 BCE, known as the Black Sea Deluge, um, which may have been the inspiration for the flood stories in that region. The event is thought to have occurred when the Mediterranean Sea which was previously separated from the Black Sea by a narrow strip of land, breached that barrier and flooded into the Black Sea, which caused the it to flood over and uh, into like the countries of Turkey and Iran and Syria and stuff like that. Right. Um, but I just want to play into the idea of how the story of Noah could have occurred. And in the region of Noah, I guess it would be like Mesopotamia, two rivers the Euphrates and the Tigris flow through Mesopotamia, which is now the country of Iraq. And there are several layers of exposed rocks near these two rivers in the southeastern Mesopotamia that are likely flood deposits. Most are about a foot thick, but some are even like three meters thick, like these flood deposits. And flood debris from the same thick deposit along the Euphrates River near the ancient Sumerian city of Shurupak, around about 200 kilometers east of what is now known as Baghdad, has been dated by the C-14 method, giving an age of 2900 BCE. At carbon-14. Yeah. Uh, flood deposits, 2.4 meters thick, are also reported by MacDonald in 1988 in a research paper as, for, uh, as far northeast in the ancient Babylonian city of Kish, which is 120 kilometers south of Baghdad, and at 
any rate, the many flood deposited layers show that flooding in the southeastern Mesopotamia was not unusual in ancient times. So right now we think of it as a desert, but through these geological studies, uh, you can see that there were times where it would be completely flooded. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of like our Rykot structure episode where yeah. the eye of the Sahara Desert, people are like, oh, that resembles Atlantis if you look at like Plato's writings. I know listeners, if you're not understand, like it sounds crazy, but we did an episode on Atlantis being real and there's like some strange evidence in the Sahara Desert. I recommend checking that out. But same thing, 9,000 years ago, I think it was 9,600 BCE. So, you know, 11,000, 12,000 years ago, the Sahara Desert was like a fucking jungle. An oasis. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing. Like just because like you're saying these were desert areas present day it doesn't mean that there wasn't these you know massive um river systems that could have this flooding yeah so that that's interesting so this research paper actually looked at like the watershed for the euphrates and tigris rivers um and they kind of did some simulations and thought of what could happen to create such a great flood so um they believe that the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers, which were pr prone to flooding, could have caused this extensive great flood. Uh, so this floodplain stretches for more than 1,600 kilometers from the Persian Gulf through Mesopotamia into Syria and Turkey, and laterally for about 1,000 kilometers from eastern Saudi Arabia to southwestern Iran and an area of more than 1.6 million square kilometers. So on that basis, if abundant rain fell not only on the mountains of Syria and Turkey, but also in Saudi Arabia and Iran, the tributary streams from these countries would all contribute their volumes of water into the floodplains of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. So the increase in depth would be intensified where the two floodplains with a width of 275 kilometers in the northern section would be squeezed into a 220 kilometer wide lower part of the drainage system where the two rivers join. And then the joining of the two rivers would also increase the volume of the water in the floodplains, thereby increasing the depth. At any rate, all higher land on the natural levees where the people in the villages were present uh, would be completely submerged. Thus, it would be possible for a flood to have occurred in mid-Mesopotamia, perhaps, 2900 BCE, as evidenced by scientifically dated flood deposits. So there actually was a flood during that time that kind of covered that whole area. And um, another thing to make note of is because of the curvature of the earth, the horizon drops from where the viewer is standing. However, the drop is proportional to the square of the distance between the viewer and an object from the on the horizon. So from these relationships, it can be seen that a tribal chief or Noah Standing on the deck of a large boat, perhaps seven to eight meters above the water, he would not be able to see the tops of any hills as high as 15 meters from as little as 24 kilometers across the floodplains, covered with water because the curvature of the earth prevents it. And most hills in the region were that were higher than 15 meters high were more than 95 kilometers away. Um, therefore, the survivors of the flood would only see water in all directions when they were floating down the uh, Tigris River and over the floodplains. So many of these hills would also just be partly covered with water, which would make their tops look or project less above, above the water level. So essentially what we're saying is if you wouldn't be, you would just see water for 24 kilometers all around you. 
Yeah. If you're at this like highest point on, in the boat. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. That's kind of like what I was saying is like, it's not that the entire earth is flooded. It's just your region appears completely flooded. So you're like, oh, the whole world's flooded. This is what they're doing. But they're, they're, they're going through the mathematics of it and yeah. trying to apply how this could be possible um, given, you know, the area of Mesopotamia, the rivers around it and the time frame. I mean, it's, uh, I like that they're digging into it and actually putting, you know, thought into it. Yeah. And they have like those flood deposits that actually support their idea that this area did flood a lot and they can kind of date the time period of the flood. So it kind of goes along with that whole Noah's Ark story. Before we continue the episode, if you are enjoying our Blasphemous podcast, the people you hang out with probably will too. Do us a solid and please pass on this episode to your social media friends on Facebook, Twitter, or other platforms. We would definitely appreciate your support. I'd also like to take this time to shout out some of our valued listeners. Shout out to Florida Johnny, Cole Smith, Trucker Tom, and The Dill for messages and interactions on Instagram. Also, shout out to David Cribbs, Jenny, Robbie, and Clint for engaging on Facebook. Lastly, shout out to our newest Patreons, Robert Freeman and Miguel Perez, coming in at that slap the ass tier. We hope you enjoy the exclusive content and stickers. Also, shout out to Humpy Joe, Spurgalicious, David, and Jennifer for your continued support. To everyone else, please feel free to submit your topic or drink recommendations at www.theswervepodcast.com. May good karma and vibes be with you all. Back to the show. Uh, in this next section, I want to bring up some people that have tried to discover Noah's Ark. So one of them is Ron Wyatt. So he's an amateur archaeologist and adventurer who claimed to have found many significant biblical artifacts, including the Ark of the Covenant and the remains of Noah's Ark. Yeah, so I have this Ron Wyatt guy. I have some things to say about this guy. This is this is in the basics when I was saying the story is um, this. It was convincing to me to to a great extent. This Ron Wyatt guy, he investigated, it's called the Durapinar site. So this is a, a site in Turkey, and it's alleged that Noah's Ark was found here. And I'd recommend listeners, if if you can, look it up. Look into, there's like this weird boat shape in the area, and it literally looks like a giant boat shaped kind of in a rock structure. It, it's about 500 feet long. So the thing is, some skeptics are like, oh, it's too long. The Bible says it's like 437 feet based on the cubits, whatever. But remember, I was saying there's different measurements for a cubit. There's like a royal cubit or a cubit. So if you use the Egyptian cubit measurement, it's actually 515 feet according like Noah's Ark would be. So it's the point being it has the right length according to what was said in the Bible. And this Ron Wyatt guy, he claims that it's like petrified structure. So he thinks that this is where the Ark is. And he believed that there was like an old volcano in that region where the ship was covered with lava, kind of preserving it and encapsulating it. And then the volcano has disappeared because it's, I don't know, I guess it's erupted enough that it doesn't exist. And the this lava-enclosed boat eventually became petrified over time. And he thinks that this structure 
in this region of Turkey, this Durapinar site is what's there. Now, what's crazy, they did some sampling and they did find some samples that were consistent with petrified wood. So they have some data saying that there's petrified wood. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a boat, but they have like some data to work with. What's crazy, they went through this area with like metal detectors and they found like distinct metal readings um, down the lines of the structure, but nowhere else. And they, they took samples from these regions and they sent them to Los Alamos Labs. Crazy. <laughs> Shout out to Bob Lazar episode. What the fuck is Los... Like, yeah. How is Los Alamos Labs involved in this? Um, <laughs> like UFO shit and like, I don't know. But anyways, they send it to Los Alamos. They get the samples analyzed. One guy, I was listening to him in an interview, like one of the scientists. He's like, oh, it's weird. I think maybe it's like it's a, from a missile. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? It had iron, aluminum, and titanium in it. Hmm. How, where is this titanium and aluminum? Like, how is, let's just picture this as the arc. How the fuck is there titanium in this arc? Yeah. <laughs> but this is what they found. There was this, these metal structures associated with what they think is the arc. Now, this gets crazier. They put like physical markings on top of the lines that they could find using the metal detectors. So like picture like ropes, they had like these long ribbons and like it literally outlines the structure of a boat. Like you can see the inner walls, like the cabins, you can see it all. And it's, they did that by anywhere it was positive on the metal detector, just putting rope over it. And it looks crazy. This guy, he's a Los Alamos scientist. His name's John um, Baumgartner. Um, he's a physicist. He took samples from underneath the ribbons and they did confirm that those samples contained iron, that the material was iron. So it's like there's like this iron structure in the middle of Turkey that's like the same size of Noah's Ark. That's pretty nuts already. They analyzed the boat with subsurface radar equipment. They do receive data consistent with an internal structure and rooms. And they gave that data to the developer of the radar to be like, just, just make sure, you know, like we're not biased and like, we're not, you know, tricking ourselves into believing something that's not there. They look at the, the readings and they say, this is the people who made the radar. They say the data is consistent with, uh, not consistent with natural geology. It reflects man-made structure. So what happens next is they have all this data and they have like these teams, like, they, it's petrified wood. They find fucking iron. There's an internal structure. There's like cabins and all this stuff. The Turkish government is like, shit. They make an announcement in 1987. They're like, this is the Ark. The Ark's in Turkey. And they kind of like take credit for it because like that's what governments do. And they they dig down. They weren't planning to do this. But the day of this announcement in 1987, they dig down where Ron Wyatt was doing a radar demonstration. He was just doing a demonstration to be like, you know, because this is the day they're announcing it's the Ark. The, the the Turkish government's just like, dig, dig, fucking dig. He digs. And they find petrified wood on the samples that they that they got from that little quick dig. And they find a structure with rivets. So it's like it has, it's been constructed. It's crazy. And they just happen to find that that day, which is weird. Now, one other thing they did, which is crazy, 
because usually at like excavation sites you wouldn't damage stuff like this um like archaeologists might be cringing but they like sliced off sections of the the structure using like these weird shovels and it revealed like uh, how can i describe this picture like pillars like there's different colors in the ground and where there's different colors is where like the beams of like the boat would be so the picture like there's like a dark color and then like a white like a lighter color and the lighter color would be like the petrified wood and like iron or whatever yeah and they find that all the way down this structure they found so i don't know what are your thoughts on that i don't know like that's pretty crazy i don't know all my research was like completely opposite of what you just said i don't know like when i saw that i was like well they found a fucking boat i think um i do have some criticisms we could get into it i just want to hear like did what i say like they have petrified wood they have iron they have internal structures they have metal detector data they have subsurface radar data they have like eyewitness slicing data from slicing this thing yeah it looks like a boat it's as long as the boat <laughs> yeah uh the criticism i have is just like what every other person that criticizes ron wyatt's studies says is like he's the only person that had like that did this data and like everything just supports him he did they didn't find anything that like didn't support that this was noah's ark yeah essentially so that's my criticism it's just like too too perfect it's like yep here it is on this mountain that just happens to be called mount ararat or whatever or close to there uh, durapinar yeah it's far from mount ararat mount ararat is like another common place mm. people say they found the ark but there, it's like riddled with terrible reports so yeah <laughs> it's a bad one the Dunapur, the durapinar one is like kind of cool to me yeah but no you're you're not wrong like to me it's really interesting and like the other thing that ron wyatt guy like you were saying he kind of goes around trying to prove like biblical events so there's like a bias there already yeah but i have some information i know in 1996 this guy david fasold uh, this was a guy that was working with Ron Wyatt, and he was an advocate. This was Noah's Ark. He co-authored a paper with the geologist named Lawrence G. Collins, and both of them assert that the site cannot have been Noah's Ark nor a man-made model. They kind of like changed their mind, mm -hmm. and they actually wrote. You might have this might be a paper that you've seen. Yeah, they wrote a they wrote a paper. It's called uh, Bogus Noah's Ark from turkey exposed as common geologic structure so that geologist geophysicist sorry that i was talking about john Baumgartner from los alamos he changed his mind and he he was in with them on this like writing and i'm just going to read the abstract quick just to say because it'll it'll balance things out they, this was the abstract to their paper it said quote a natural rock structure near daragabazit turkey has been misidentified as noah's ark Microscopic studies of a supposed iron bracket show that it is derived from weathered volcanic materials. Supposed metal braced walls are natural concentrations of limonite and magnonite in steeply inclined sedimentary layers in the limbs of a doubly plunging syncline. Supposed fossilized gopher wood bark is crinkled metamorphized peridotite, fossiferous, <laughs> that's a fucked up word, <laughs> limestone interpreted as cross-cutting the syncline preclude the surface from being noah's ark 
because the supposed flood deposits are younger than the Ark. Anchor stones at Kazan are derived from the local Andesite and not from Mesopotamia, end quote. I mean, see, even even then, though, this is why even after reading that, because I did look at that paper, I still feel like it's a boat. Like they're like, oh, it's this is natural. This is this. But there's some things you can't really explain. And they even admit it. They're like, well, this is not from here. It's, it's not from Mesopotamia. So it can't be Noah's Ark. It doesn't mean it can't be a boat. Yeah, but uh, like know? in their studies, like from that paper, they say that they t- they took samples. They could find no evidence of like petrified wood or any wood um in that paper they also say but they did ron did these guys say they didn't and they're they were doing their own samples los alamos <laughs> um but th- that's same paper you must have been looking at different sites because this paper there is could called be multiple like, there could be multiple papers yeah, too. a supposed cast of noah's ark in eastern turkey by lawrence g collins um and he starts off the paper like this I have been corresponding with a person who is certain that the 515-foot-long arc-shaped structure in eastern Turkey near Dugubaya Zayat is either a fossilized remains of Noah's Ark or a cast of its former presence. No amount of scientific evidence against this model changed his mind because the Bible says that Noah's Ark did exist, and he has said, quote, because it looks like a boat, it must be a boat. Therefore, in his mind, the ark-shaped structure in the mountains of Ararat must be the fossilized remains of Noah's Ark or a cast of it, such as the cast of an ancient boat buried at Sutton Hoo near Woodbridge, Suffolk, England. So the Sutton Hoo is, was a boat buried in the 6th century to a 7th century Anglo-Saxon uh, cemetery as a tome, and its wood structure has long ago decayed and disappeared. Nevertheless, the outline of the boat impressions of the wood planking and beams can still be seen, although all the wood is now gone. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That Lawrence G. Collins guy was part of the paper I'm talking about, too. But I guess yeah. he has a different one as well. But I think what he's saying, like, he can't say that it's not a boat. Well, he did, like, he collected 12 samples of rock from inside the supposed ark, the deck, the walls, the top side of the edge or gunwale of the boat, as well as outside the supposed ark like the ribs of the boat. And David Fassold, who was also on this paper, was told by other investigators at the site that these rock samples were petrified wood. And he made thin sections of each sample and none of it was petrified wood. So all were this vul- that uh, volcanic basalt or andesite. Yeah, I mean, the thing though is you can't, just like they were even saying earlier, like the wood can be completely degraded by then. So like finding petrified wood would be like, a you know, it, it would add credence to your case, but not finding it, I don't think means it's not a boat. I'm in the camp. If it looks like a fucking boat, it's a boat. <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying it's Noah's Ark per se. I'm just saying like in the same way, because you, you mentioned that, uh, that Sutton Who boat, like it could just be something like that, just like some kind of soldier vessel that. Yeah, was but the thing is, degraded like, degraded in the area over thousands of years. Even if it did degrade, like something would be left. Like you would see, they found iron and fucking titanium and shit. But that's just like they didn't find like that much iron. It was just like a few, like on the on the beams or whatever. But like they said, it was like, uh, like this iron compound that just had like a bunch of minerals in it that were magnetic. I don't know. 
I think it's a boat. Yeah, they even say that Dr. John Baumgartner went to the site and did seismic studies and drilling at various places along the length of the arc and found that the underlying rock is variable from one end to the other, which indicates that there's no like rounded bottom or any sort of continuous thing to say that it is a, it is a continuous structure. Yeah, it's inconsistent depending on where you sample. And they say like the flakes of iron that are scattered throughout the arc and the ribs of the arc, um, unlike the iron screw bolts or rivets found at the Sutton Hoo, these iron containing flakes and fragments found at the arc structure are not pure iron metal. Instead, they consist of iron containing minerals, magnetite and limonite. And the proponents of the arc claim that if they have found iron brackets that Noah used or screws, they should find more of them. They should find like thousands of them based on the structure. And they only find like a After few 6,000 years. Well, even with like Fuck the no. Sutton who they, they found like hundreds oh, and thousands. Only, that's of only like, hundreds of years though. That's like, uh, I think that was like six or 700 years. If, if I'm recalling what was just, we just went through. Yeah. But still there should be more than what's present yeah that's my thing i like i i think it's a i'm i think it's a boat the chances that this would be like a volcanic normal geological event it's just a perfectly shaped boat with perfectly shaped beams and cabins and when you do like the radar it's like oh here's a cabin here's a cabin here's a cabin it seems unlikely you know like what what's what's more likely is it that the 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 geology just made a perfectly shaped boat with like rooms and cabins, or is it a fucking boat? I agree with them that it's not, it's not necessarily Noah's Ark, but I don't think they can say it's not a boat. I think they can just say it's not Noah's Ark because like the timing doesn't work out unless that's what they're saying. No, I don't know what they're saying. Or maybe I, I'm just, I, I thought they were saying it's just like a natural formation. I'm on a boat. <laughs> anyway i'm in the camp that it's a natural formation you're in the camp that it's a boat doesn't have to be the ark but it, it looks a like a boat it doesn't so it's a boat i don't think it looks like a boat you haven't seen what i've seen <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a fucking boat uh yeah so that's all i had to say about ron wyatt just he believe he found he believes he's found noah's ark and people other people have shit on it or backed it up or they may or may not have evidence for it or against it. So. He died of cancer, hey, in 1999. Oh, okay. Ron Wyatt. Yeah. Anyway, do you have anything else to say about that? or? No, I just, yeah, it looks like a boat. Listeners, look it up. Yeah. It looks like a boat. So <laughs> the last section that I want to do is just like claims and like claims for or against it. Who's on camp boat and who's not? Uh, so one of the claims is many creationists have pointed out that the Bible indicates that God promised not to cause another huge flood to occur, and therefore there cannot be any floods that are similar to the the flood in the Genesis. No yeah, Noetian <laughs> flood. Uh, therefore, the geological record should show at least one unique flood event that is different from all the large regional floods for which there is no geological evidence. And also, like, the requirements of Noah's Ark is not a believable story. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Um, so in an era when hollowed-out logs and reed rafts were the extent of marine transport, a vessel so massive appeared that the likes of it would not have been 
that the likes of it would not be seen until mid 19th century uh, before he could even contemplate such a project. Noah would have needed a thorough education in naval architecture and in fields that would not arise for thousands of years, such as physics, calculus, mechanics, and structural analysis. Uh, there was no shipbuilding tradition behind Noah, no experienced craftspeople to offer advice. And it's a bit crazy for now, let alone that time. But like God yeah. would transmit. When you take knowledge. God out of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just like kind of points of the story that make it believable that I thought were kind of funny or just like clever. Uh, so I thought I'd bring them up. I was listening to uh, like a, a YouTube channel that's very, um, well, clearly very biased in their opinion. They're like hardcore, like orthodox, like by the book, this is what the Bible says is true. And they were talking about, they're like, <laughs> Like, you know, we just criticized it. We're like, well, how could you get all these animals on this boat or whatever? Like, they wouldn't even fit. And they're like, if you ask them back, <laughs> how large are all the animals? What's the mathematical metric of that? They don't know. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I can just kind of eyeball it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and kind of just eyeball it. Like, no, I don't know exactly the metrics, but like what? You're like, we're shoving things in. And then the guy was saying... It says you can take pairs, but he's like, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking adult pairs. Like you could take like puppies and like baby tigers and he's like, yeah. then they would fit better. I'm like, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> like, yeah, I think even by like minimum accounts, it would still be like 35 to 50,000 animals aboard the ship. Well, even that it's like, we have, it's way worse than that. Like there's, Dude, just like the insect um, species in the world, like we're talking, like species are discovered every day. Like we can't yeah. even describe how many insect species there are. Not to say that you couldn't fit insects. I'm just saying, like, you'd have to be like a very advanced biologist. Yeah, which he which, was. Which I he guess was. he was. Uh, another claim that I thought was kind of clever is Noah lived 350 years after the flood and during this time people were fanning out and re replenishing the earth carrying with them reminiscence of the deluge and that would someday excite american missionaries from sumatra to spitzbergen yet noah's primary contribution to humanity his incredible knowledge of naval engineering vanished without a trace and the seafarers returned to their hollow logs and reed rafts, like passing a mirage. The ark was here one day and gone the next, leaving not a ripple in the long saga of shipbuilding. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if even according to like the site that I was talking about, like they were finding titanium in it and shit and iron. It's like they weren't constructing ships in Noah's time with like iron and titanium. But like to me. This is where the ancient alien hypothesis comes in. Mm. Like, is it, is it actually like, is this some kind of arc that Noah created or is this uh, some kind of vessel that was built for Noah mm. by God who could be an ancient alien? There's that side of the story too. We didn't touch on for good yeah. reason, but I'm bringing it up. Yeah, I guess that's that's one explanation of it. Hmm. Uh, I'll just say a few of the other 
claims or problems with the story. So two researchers, they estimated that it would have taken at least 81 years for Noah and his sons to build the ship. But they suggest by the time they would be finished with the Ark, the earlier phases would be rotting away, a difficulty often faced by builders of wooden ships whose work took only four or five years. So they're saying like by the time you're done the back end of the boat, the front end is rotting away. If we are using just normal physics and like normal time span for wood and everything. Um, Also, the Ark needed to be covered in pitch inside and out, and that's bitumen or like some tar. Thus, it seems that God accommodated Noah by creating a tar pit just for the occasion. And we have another miracle. Listen, I believe in miracles. Do you say you don't believe in miracles? Is that what you're saying? No, I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. (laughs) There you are. You saxophone. (laughs) That's all that it is, man. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Just just believe. If you believe, you will achieve. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just another thing, like kind of trying to relate it to modern day. The absolute limit of its length was 300 feet. And so this is like the limit of wooden boats today. And it's still liable to hogging and sagging. And this is a major reason why the naval industry turned to iron and steel in the 1850s. The largest wooden ships ever built were the six (laughs) mastered schooners, nine of which were launched between 1900 and 1909. And these ships were so long that they required diagonal iron strapping for support. They snaked or visibly undulated (laughs) as they passed through the waves Uh, They leaked so badly that they had to be pumped constantly and they were only used for short coastal hauls because they were unsafe in deep water. So this guy talking about are we talking about a long boat? Are we talking about a long dick? (laughs) I don't know. Slap the ass and ride the (laughs) way. Oh, my God. So this guy diagonal strapping for support (laughs) and then it snaked viably undulated as they passed. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny. Um, so this guy, John J. Rockwell, the designer of the first of his class, confessed that six masters were not practical. They were too long for wood construction. Yet the arc was over 100 feet longer than the longest six master, the 329-foot USS Wyoming. Like, here's the thing, though. the This all assumes that it was made of wood. Yeah. So, again, if we... I I understand the criticism of uh, the Dinaper site or whatever, but they did find titanium and iron. So let's assume Allegedly. Noah's Ark. No, Just they saying. did find. No, they found titanium and iron. Whether I or don't not believe that in Ron. They Los Alamos Labs found titanium. I don't believe in Los Alamos Labs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You're right. I can't. Whatever you believe, <laughs> I can't refute. So you're right. But in my opinion, so I'm just saying, like, let's just, let's just assume for sake of argument that Noah's Ark was actually built of solid titanium. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Could it be 500 feet then? Well, yeah, because now we have ships that are a lot longer than that. So? It's real. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a boat. It is a boat. <laughs> yeah. It quacks like a dock. It looks like a dock. It's a fucking dock. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, just a few other things like the genetic problems. So the di- diversity we see today could not have sprouted from the survivors of the Ark, even with the craziest of genetic combinations or like abilities for alleles to yeah. combine. Um, and then there's a lot more detailed examples of how the logistics, caring for the animals, gathering the animals, surviving after the flood, all make this an impossible task. So, um, In the eyes the, of man. In the eyes of man, I guess. Yeah. Not in the eyes of an omnipresent being. 950 years old. And, so that's, yeah. that's all I had for Noah's Ark. Could be real, could not be real. I'm in the camp of definitely not real and... The, whoa, whoa, whoa. the Duniper arc structure. We gotta is get into fake. final thoughts before. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! This is too soon. <laughs> All right, Should let's get into final, final thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> okay, I'll say first. Do I believe the story? Um, no. Do I believe the story was inspired by real events? Yes. Okay. I think the regional floods, I think, I, of course, there's even right now, people find ancient civil evidence of ancient civilizations underwater today. I don't have the examples in front of me, but there's like a road somewhere that's found. There's like ancient yeah. structures. So for sure, things have been submerged. I don't think that's crazy. So is, you know, I can believe that a story could emerge. It could just be massive hyperbole. Um, but do I think this exact story makes sense? That like this wood ship that's 500 feet long, you know, one guy, all these animals? No, I don't believe that. But do <laughs> I believe that there could have been a story of a great flood and someone made a boat to save like themselves and like maybe like 100 people? Yeah, that, I'm, that's believable. Why not? You could build a boat that size. Yeah, that's you know, just like a small Almighty. boat. i barely remember that i barely remember that um but yeah it's i think that's what it is it's just like a distorted story over time i don't think it's like literally coherent and i think that is a boat in that volcanic place i don't think it's a natural formation i bet you it was like a a boat of some kind yeah i don't know i can't Well, we've said it in like other topics, but like we haven't like researched this for years to like come to a conclusion. It's just like we read a couple articles and we're like, all right, real or not real. And if you read one article and I read a different one, we have different opinions. Well, yeah. And like the other thing too, even getting samples from that site is like really difficult because like Turkey, they kind of want it to be a boat. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's like Noah landed here, motherfuckers. Fuck you, kind of thing. So it's like it's hard to even go back and study. Yeah, and so they I control concede, like yeah. who has access or whatever. So. Exactly. So I don't know. You know, and, and that's the thing. We only have so much time to research this. So I'm not an expert. I am open to the idea that it's not a boat. Do I think it's Noah's Ark? Hell no. I just think it's a boat. Yeah. If it looks like a boat, boat, it's a boat. Yeah, if it looks like a boat, it's a fucking boat. Anyways, what's your take on this whole thing? Yeah, I don't believe in like the literal story from the Bible. Um, but I do believe that 
the story was inspired by real events. Like we've said, there's been flooding in Mesopotamia. Their known world would get flooded and people would just write about it. And then Ron Wyatt's discovery of Noah's Ark, I, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that he even found a boat. I just think it's natural occurring thing. If there was evidence, like if it had similarities to other boats found covered in like volcanic ash or even like buried deep underneath the ground, like it doesn't have any of that. It's just like a standalone thing. Like it kind of looks like it has some evidence that could just be. It looks exactly like it. I don't. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> it looks exactly like a fucking boat. What, what kind like of ex- boat? Like, like a, a massive, boat? yeah, like a huge boat. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it does. It's a huge boat. It's kind of like constellations. You see a few dots in the sky, and you're like, oh, that's an entire person, Orion. How can you not Mm-mm. see it? <laughs> I almost feel like we saw two different things. Maybe. <laughs> like we might be talking about two different, because like our papers were different. Yeah. So like maybe there's like two sites. I'll, I'll have to like search more for it or like just send me what you saw and then we'll do another episode of how I'm converted. <laughs> and it'll just be, yeah, this where if it looks like a boat, it's a fucking boat. Yeah. That'll be the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. And I'm skeptical of Ron Wyatt as well. I'm uh, somewhat being facetious, but like I do, I just, my gut tells me it's a boat. Yeah. Should we uh, roll out of this? Yeah. Let's thank Sidestepping the Sun, Canadian rock band that made the intro and outro music. Also, shout out to Alicateco Hot Sauce. It's just a great hot sauce. I eat it every... I think if you're a listener and you like spicy food, you'll like it because I like spicy food and I like it. So you will like it. It's habanero-based. So it's not like your basic bullshit. It's got a lot of kick to it. And you can put it on food that isn't normally flavorful and it'll make it flavorful. And that's really good. So I use it for those purposes all the time vegetables, chicken, things like that, sandwiches. I'd recommend checking it out. And in in lieu of that, I would also say, given this unofficial sponsor, listeners, if you could reach out to Ellie Cateco on our behalf, that would be sick. That would be awesome. We've had many listeners in the past do this. You've put us on Ellie Cateco's radar. They know who the Swerve Podcast is. This is confirmed. Um, but we just need the the the, what's the word? the interest to put us over the edge and they will sponsor this podcast. If we pray to Noah and his <laughs> ark. Having said that, uh, Izzo, what else do we got? Yeah. Just again, I want to mention that we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the sort of podcast. We have two tiers, a $1 ride the wave tier, the wave that flooded all of humanity. <gasps> uh, and then so- he totally slapped that ass. <laughs> He did. He did slap that ass for 950 years. He was slapping Ham's ass. <laughs> I, knew, I was going to say it, but you did it. Um, yeah. So for just a dollar, you can listen to more episodes like this that are exclusive to Patreon. You can also get the entire ac- access to the library of episodes that we've released. You almost and... said you can get the entire ass. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> You can get the entire ass. (laughs) Yeah, for $3, you can get the entire ass by joining the slap the ass tier. And that'll give you access to all those bonus episodes. You'll get shout outs on the podcast. You'll also receive the episodes that drop 
on the main channels, so like YouTube and everywhere else, and the Patreon episodes before anyone else. So you'll receive them on Sundays rather than the typical drop time of Wednesdays. Hell yeah. I also have to say you can follow us. Um, if you're interested in the drink recipes we do, we post them on all of our social medias. So you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see the drink recipes that we do and the drinks we feature on these shows. We also do topic voting um, sometimes, so you can follow us there for that. And also, you'll just be notified when the episodes drop on Wednesdays. So it's just a great little reminder you can get. Um, having said that, we also, um, while supplies last, we have a sticker pack we're giving out. So we have three weatherproof stickers that we send listeners who leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcast or leave a review on Spotify, now that that's a thing, a five-star review. All you need to do is screenshot or snip out the that you have left that review. Tell us that, and we will mail you out a free sticker pack. They're dope. If you're interested in what they look like, they again, they are on all of our social medias, so you can find them there. They're featured with our drink posts. And is that it, Izzo? No, I just want to mention that we do have a website, so theswervepodcast.com. Uh, there you'll find all of our links, uh, you'll find posts that we do, and you'll also find a form that you can fill out, and you can give us your drink and topic recommendations there. So it kind of centralizes things for us in our email. Uh, so yeah, let us know what you want us to research, let us know what you want us to drink, we'll shout you out in the podcast episode, and... Yeah, that's just another way to interact with us. So please do that. Having said that, uh, slap that ass. And ride the wave. is a character who survived a great flood and was granted eternal life by the gods the story of of utna piss them <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>